Hey everyone, welcome to episode 70 of the Ubuntu Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, there's a break from me having a chat with Joe again. Joe's had a chat with one of our other team members, uh, Emmy Torino, and uh, they've had a great chat about, I guess, just how, what it's like to start out in the Ubuntu security team. So that will come up a bit later. But first, we'll do our usual roundup of uh, vulnerability fixes for the past week. So this week, there were 18 unique CVEs that the team addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. First up, we'll start with Apport. This is a component uh, in Ubuntu that handles crash reports. So basically when an application crashes, uh, the kernel has this kind of crash handler that uh, some user space application can plug into. In this case, we use Apport. And it then is able to kind of be notified when the crash happens, capture the crash dump. It then does certain things like parse out certain bits of interesting information gets the whole thing into a file, and then that gets uploaded to uh, our crash servers if you choose to uh, by another component called Whoopsie. And uh, because Apport runs as root, uh, sometimes there can be issues. And in this case, it had an issue where it created its lock file in a world-readable and uh, world-readable location. And so what it creates this lock file so that multiple instances of Apport don't all run at the same time, but it would create it where someone else could have previously, as an unprivileged user, dropped a symlink to, say, some other file. And so that Apport would go and create this lock file in place of the symlink. The symlink would get followed, and this file that you know, the user, unprivileged user created would then get created as root-owned, uh, root uh, but then with world-writable permissions. And so then, you know, say a standard user could dump whatever they want into that file, which is then a symlink to wherever they wanted. So perhaps you could drop in a new cron file to do certain things. Um, that actually doesn't work because cron has uh, other protections where it checks the permissions of files and if things are world writable it doesn't go and execute them uh, but that kind of thing and so that was fixed there was also an issue uh, where apport would uh, drop privileges when it creates crash reports so it would then go and you know say if a standard user has an application crash it would then go and set the crash report to be owned by that user uh, but there was a race condition there where someone could go and say put a symlink in and uh, in that place of the crash report and then say it would go and uh, change the ownership of some other file that you know, the symlink pointed to so again that was also fixed so a couple different issues uh, due to i guess uh, the chance of symlink attacks uh, both of these can actually be mitigated by the protected symlinks setting which is a kernel syscall which we actually do have set already so they're both mitigated uh, to a certain extent by default but yeah they have both been fixed for apport and that was in uh, xenial bionic and eowyn we then had an update for the GD graphics library. So this is primarily used by PHP for image handling. Uh, and in the first case, there was use of an uninitialized variable uh, during image creation. So that could lead to either information leak or possible memory corruption. And then there was a possible null pointer to your reference in certain circumstances, which would usually lead to a crash of your you know, PHP stack. Uh, so they were both fixed. We also had an update for Firefox, and actually there's a second update for Firefox that I'm going to talk about a bit later. But first up, yeah, there was an update to Firefox, which was version 74.0.1. So when we do our Firefox updates, we update to the latest upstream release in our supported releases. And so that means that in Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn, they all got updated to that version. And uh, this was done by Mozilla because there were reports of uh, these two different issues being exploited in the wild. And I've got a link to that if you want to read some more details. Both of these were user after free conditions. So they usually lead to uh, remote code execution. So likely uh, yeah, certain people were being targeted having uh, their Firefoxes popped to do remote code execution on their boxes, which isn't great. Uh, but they were fixed by updating to Firefox 74.0.1, as I said. Uh, we then had an update for HAProxy, so one CVE here fixed for Bionic and Eowyn. 
In this case, uh, HAProxy had a vulnerability where uh, there was arbitrary heap memory write in its HPAC decoder. So uh, this is dealing with HTTP2. It has uh, this header compression called HPAC that allows uh, you know, significant compression over HTTP1 essentially so that you, know, you have a lot uh, less data being sent uh, between your client and server. But when unpacking this, yeah, you could get possible heap, uh, arbitrary heap memory writes. So you could basically crop whatever memory you want and get likely code execution as a result as well. Yeah, so that was fixed for Bionic and Ewan. And then we had an update for GNU TLS. Uh, this was for just GNU TLS in Ewan. In this case, uh, it had an issue where uh, for DTLS, that's uh, datagram-based TLS, so basically doing um, TLS encryption for things like UDP, uh, it would use all zeros instead of a random 32-byte value when doing key negotiation. <laughs> so you would essentially, uh, you know, wouldn't get all the security guarantees that you expect of DTLS. And in this case, this was actually introduced due to a code change, uh, which refactored some Boolean logic where previously there was an or uh, of a condition it changed that to an and, but it didn't invert uh, the, the test, the logic test of that, which uh, De Morgan's theorem says, you know, if you change a Boolean or to an and, you should then, you know, not the uh, the operands as well. So yeah, that was fixed uh, to just change that to a, you know, a not on the condition uh, for GNU TLS and uh, get the correct behavior. Uh, then, as I said, uh, alluded to earlier, there was another update for Firefox. So Mozilla released version uh, 75.0 for Firefox. So we updated that again for Xenial, Bionic, and Eowyn. In this case, there were uh, seven different uh, CVEs that were fixed. Um, uh, the first six of these were the kind of things that we usually see in web browsers where you, know, you have some memory corruption vulnerability or otherwise. So that allows an attacker to do things like um, you know, crash the browser or uh, do remote code execution or maybe uh, leak you know, secrets, that kind of thing. But there was a second one, which was, uh, I guess, a more high level issue, which was due to the way that uh, OAuth um, sequences would happen. So if you were a malicious extension, you could possibly steal authentication codes uh, due to various uh, OAuth login sequences as they happened. So that was fixed for Firefox. Uh, then to finish up, we've got a bunch of updates for the Linux kernel. So first up, we updated the kernel in Bionic. That's Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support. Uh, this is the 4.15 based kernel, which is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support, which is Xenial. In this case, there were three different CVEs. Uh, all of these were denial of service issues. Uh, the first one, there was a use after free in the virtual file system layer. Uh, that would likely lead to a crash, so um, you know, denial of service, but a possible information leak. Then uh, for PowerPC, there was an issue with uh, KVM guest and host state um, being able to be corrupted, so the guest could corrupt uh, the host state. So again, you would likely get a crash as a result of that. And finally, there was uh, a soft lockup that could occur due to handling of a malicious X4 file system image. Uh, because it wouldn't properly validate uh, the journal size. So if you were uh, mounting untrusted X4 you know, images, that could possibly happen. Uh, but they were fixed, as I say, for the 4.15 kernel in Bionic. Then we had an update for the uh, 5.3 based kernel in Eowyn, which is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for Bionic, if you're choosing to use that. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the kernel team updated the uh, 5.0 based kernel, which is again used on Bionic, but in our cloud instances. So if you are running Ubuntu on AWS or GKE or something like that, you're likely running this kernel. Uh, in this case, that included both the uh, virtual file system use after free that I talked about before, but also a memory leak in the IPM, IPMI handler. Uh, so that's kind of handling uh, you know, data from uh, the BIOS, UEFI, that kind of thing. 
And so a possible denial of service that could be caused by a local user uh, leading to memory exhaustion. Then we had an update for the kernel in Xenial. This is a 4.4 based kernel. Uh, so that's the standard kernel used in Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support, but then is also used for the hardware enablement kernel if you are running uh, Ubuntu 14.04 extended security maintenance. Uh, so this was just a single CV that was fixed there, which was again that virtual file system you use after free that would likely lead uh, to denial of service. And finally, we updated the uh, 4.15 base kernel that is used uh, in Bionic for things like uh, our Raspberry Pi images or Snapdragon images. So if you're running either of those uh, boards or it's also used for various cloud images as well. And then we have that enabled for uh, Xenial for hardware enablement and also trusty extended security maintenance as well. And so in that case, uh, that fixed both the uh, virtual file system used after free and the X4 uh, soft lockup issue that I talked about earlier. And that's it for security updates for this week. So next up, uh, I had a break from having a chat with Joe again this week. Instead, Joe had a talk with uh, one of our more recent uh, hires, uh, Emmy Torino. She's been with the team for about a year now. And uh, they talked about, I guess, what it's like to start with the team and uh, kind of how her experience has been. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Ubuntu Security Podcast this week. We've got a special guest, Amy Torino from the Ubuntu Security team. Say hey, Amy. Hey, hello, everybody. How are you doing, so, Joe? I'm, I'm, I'm doing as best as I can, you know, keeping busy <laughs> in my quarantine yeah. time. Um, Everywhere in the world, too. right? I'm in Argentina and same thing here. Yes. Well, I usually ask Alex when we kick off this call um, what you're reading right now. So what are you reading right now? I am listening uh, to a book, which is The Phoenix Project. I'm about to mm -hmm. finish it right now, but it's a, an interesting book uh, that uh, it was recommended to me by you, by the way. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah that it uh, explains through a story, a very nice story, all the challenges around, you know, IT departments or DevOps, as whatever you want to call it right now. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I think it's, I really think it's a great way to change your mindset from traditional IT and traditional sort of static security practices to the more dynamic and agile practices of a modern sort of uh, CICD or DevOps group. Um, exactly. I know personally for me, when I run, I, it changed the way I was conducting, I'll say change controls prior to reading it. So after I read that, I, was, I really took a different approach to how I was doing change controls. Um, plus, it's just an interesting book. And I actually read the follow-up, The Unicorn Project, which is pretty similar, but more uh, software engineering focused than sort of IT focused. Um, so if you finish that and are still feeling hungry to read more, you can go for that. I also did it as an audio book because I, I, it'd be easier than reading it. <laughs> yes, I will. I will. Yeah, it's funny because cool. you sometimes listen uh, to things that you say, of course, that should that should be there. but. Somehow they are not. <laughs> so you, it, it, it makes you think a lot about what you're doing and go back mm -hmm. to apply better practices on what you consider that you're already doing good, right? So. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I like to think of myself as an engineer, um, although I'm a director <laughs> now. But um, so I, I continually make myself read books on 
on engineering management. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times like, yeah, well, of course I know that, but it takes reading something to remind you about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of of the the process of continual learning. But not only learning, I guess, continually bringing things up to the forefront of your mind. But okay, with that, Mm -hmm. um, today I'd like to talk to you to find out sort of you know, how you got into security? Because we've been getting a lot of questions in our um, Ubuntu security Twitter uh, from people saying, hey, how did, how did you get in? And like I think six months ago, Alex and I talked about how we got into it. But I thought since you're one of our, um, not only are you a more recent hire to the team, you've been here about almost a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also one of our um, one of our leaders and dare I say, one of our um, emerging leaders. You're a tech lead for a project right now. Um, you came in with a different, uh, I'll say background and mindset than many of our people, and you helped um, sort of modernize some of our practices and improve our documentation, and you even onboarded people that started after you. So with that, um, why don't you tell us, how did, uh, how did you get into, um, into security? Well, that's a very interesting story. So everything starts in 2007, when, when I was about to finish my undergrad in software engineering here in, in Argentina. So I decided to look for an internship opportunity. And, and by that time, I knew that no long before, Intel, you know, had arrived here to Argentina, to Cordoba, which is the city I live, as the first and only software design center in Latin America. So that kind of sounds like cool to Yeah, very as a cool. starting point, right? So I, I remember that I just checked their careers website and I found there were like offering internship programs. I mean, to be honest, I didn't know the details about what they were doing, but I just applied and I got it. So can you imagine what the internship project was about? <laughs> I'm just going to assume it was security, but that's actually something I want to point out that you saw it, you were interested and you just applied. So I have a lot of people asking, well, I look at these roles and it says you need 10 years of experience, etc." And I try to encourage people to just apply because all you need is the right person to be interested in your resume and you can get your foot in the door. But anyhow, yeah, continue. And, and, and the title on the careers website didn't mention security at all, right? Was this, this combination of, okay, you are finishing your undergrad, uh, Intel has come to Argentina, there are many opportunities for becoming a great leader on the software industry, like with people with excellence on the area. So well, when I got, when I joined the project, I still remember the name. It was called Security in the Web 2.0. I, I was assigned to, uh, <laughs> yeah, software pathfinding and innovation team. And well, the main idea was to do research about all these like new web applications area. Remember, it was back in 2007, right? So I, I remember I came back, I came familiar with concepts like the OWAS project, you know, the open web application, the top 10, cross-site scripting, and web. And, and how those, let's say, concepts, you could find a software solution that can help prevent them, right? So, the project finished, I got hired, I, I got my undergrad degree, whatever. But then I started working as a full-time software engineering. And I felt like whatever the project I was working on or whatever the technology I was working on, security should be there as well, right? So at some point, I, I tried to combine the areas, software engineering Great. with technology. And I think that still happened today, right? When people listen to the podcast and whatever mm. Alex mentioned, mentioned about pa- packages we have been fixing and CVEs, 
Like, can you just imagine the different software engineering complexity problems that, that we face, right? Packages are written in different uh, programming language like Go, Java, C, Python. Like, we don't only need to understand the CVE, we need to understand the package, how the package is built, what's the purpose for the package, because we don't only need to, let's say, fix the vulnerability, but we want to make sure that the package keeps working Still as works. it should, right? Yeah, so, and that's interesting because, so, so we have all these different packages, we've got all these different languages, all these different packages, and if you look, we're actually update about three packages a day. Um, so we're looking at things that are, we, that are, are, are varying. I mean, they're just so, the, the variety of what we're fixing is just all over the place. And then if you, if you also think with our LTSs, you know, our long-term support releases, we backport fixes from the newest version exactly. to the one that is in that LTS. So that's going to give you that stability to build, um, to build on over the course of a, a long time. Um, but still get security. So yeah, it is, it, is a, it is a challenge. And software engineering is, I think, a key thing that you should be good at to be good in security. I, I always tell people, yeah, being a good sysadmin is a good third of security. You need to understand how networks, I'm sorry, how systems work, how things talk to each other. But then you also need to understand how the underlying code works and how the networks work to make everything talk together. So uh, the software engineering, though, is the one I'm, I see missing the most in, um, in applicants, people who who have skipped over that. So even if you're interested and you're, you're like, well, I'm not really a software engineer, go buy that Python book, you know, and, and spend some time now and just get started. Because once you learn Python, which I think is the easiest, then you can jump into Go, you can jump into C, but just get that familiarity with with some programming that'll help you along. Anyway. Yeah, and if you're a curious person and you like to learn things, and you also use open source projects, right? It's it's always a good attitude to, to contribute to hold them better, right? So if you know the tools and you can reach to us if you don't know them, you can also help us do this work, right? Play around with different packages, get familiar with how packages are being created or built, come up with improvements from the security point of view or from others' point of view, right? And we will be very happy to receive uh, the contributions from people and apply them to our Ubuntu releases. Yes, absolutely. You know, as part of open source, that's also a way for you to get involved. You know, we've had people from the community come and actually work at, at, at Canonical um, because of the contributions they've made. Plus, it's a way for you to get, um, I'll say, you know, doing your doing your uh, uh, merge requests, et cetera. Um, you're going to get feedback from people in the um, in the community, and it's going to help you to develop your skills. You just pick one small thing. I remember, I think the first thing I did in open source was I fixed a, a bug in a... Arduino library for um, for their altimeter module, um, and that that you know that sort of started my my first contribution in, in, in the public world. But um, and so, but you've been so you were you were at Intel. You're helping the software, and then you ended up going back to grad school, right? Yeah, um, I got a scholarship in like, some years ago, and I attended Carnegie Mellon University. That I know you're also familiar with it. <laughs> I, I, I did, in fact, go there as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I went to the Silicon Valley branch in California, and I got a Master of Science in Software Engineering there. That's um, awesome, and. Do you think that has helped you in your in your career going forward, getting that additional training? Oh yeah, I mean a lot, and even 
like if I'm thinking about it with perspective, let's say, it's not only, let's say, the technical concepts you learn, but experience of meeting very smart people, like connecting to things like NASA, for example. Like, can you believe I, I, I was part of the project uh, where we helped the NASA scientists to do some field projects. Uh, it was an Android tablet project. Like, But even, uh, you know, that type of interactions with professionals, with other areas of, of the world, like everybody trying to solve, again, issues to help have a better world, let's say. Um, that yeah, was that's amazing. really great. And I think that's one of the, if you have the opportunity, I know I, like, like, like you, I waited some time after undergrad to go to grad school. And I think exactly. that helps out quite a bit because you, you learn what you're most interested in. And also you, I think, at least for me, I was much more effective with my time when I went back to school than I was there the, the first time around. Because I was, I was working um, when I was going to school. And I was just, I mean, granted, I was working at the school, so it was fairly easy to just go to class. But it definitely makes you um, be more efficient at school. Yeah. But so, so you finished your school. And you went back to Intel and you were still working on security projects there? Yeah. Then, let's say, an industry situation changed because I was part of the Intel security division. But uh, the Intel security division was acquired by an investment group. And then we became McAfee. Like the same people Mm -hmm. in the same office, uh, in the same building, let's say, we started to be McAfee employees. it, it was then, let's say, another situation where now I was working for a security company, right? Before, I was working for a, a software division of a company that its main business does not do security. But then, uh, yeah, McAfee, the main business is like doing security products. So there I started working again uh, for uh, exclusively on, on, on security. Cool. And so... Um, and then we we stole you away to work here at at Canonical, and mm-hmm. so um, I think just for folks who are interested in getting into security, um, you know I, what I like about security, particularly especially on this team, is we're doing a bit of everything. So I mean it's from tabletop exercises to threat models, um, and then doing patching and working on new security products. So it's coding, it's um, it's preparing documentation, it's backporting code. So it's really a, a whole lot of stuff um, that we get to do. Um, have you been enjoying the work you've been doing since you've been here? A lot. And I feel that I am learning a lot. And I just can't imagine all the things that I will be learning here in Canonical. Also from the smart people we have in the team, right? Uh, that's one of the things that I also enjoy a lot. Like being close by, even though we are remote employees, you can you can get a lot from the smart people that works with you through the technology that help us do that. Yeah, and I would say what I really enjoy about this team is that everybody here is smart, as you said, mm-hmm. um, but they're also very humble and they're willing to help you. Yes. Nobody's holding on to a project to show, oh, I know this, it's mine. They're, um, they're, they're free with their information. They want you to know more, get better, and contribute back. And that's really great. And we do have a few positions open on the team right now for an AppArmor developer. Um, so if you're working in App Armor, um, go check that out on uh, canonical.com slash careers. Um, and we also have a certifications uh, engineer. So that's somebody who's going to help us, you know, changing something like OpenSSH uh, open to be FIPS compliant. So you're going to have to be a C coder, 
as well as knowing some Python and some Bash and things like that. So we've got those roles. We have some others that we'll get out later in the year. Um, but um, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Where can people check out for more information? It's the Canonical's career website? Yep. It's uh, canonical.com slash careers. I believe it's also careers.canonical.com. Um, and uh, you can also, I think we've got some up on LinkedIn and we work remotely, et cetera. Um, so yes, um, Emmy, thank you so much for um, letting us chat with you and sharing how you got into security. And everybody sure. will be back next week. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. And thanks again, Joe and Emmy, for that. Uh, all right, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention quickly was that, uh, as Joe had mentioned in our uh, security section on discourse.ubuntu.com, we will soon be discontinuing uh, the uh, uncompressed oval files that we release. So uh, as part of what we do, we release uh, oval data, and that describes essentially what vulnerabilities exist on um, particular systems. So you can then use tools like OpenSCAP, uh, as John and I have mentioned in the past, and things like the CVE scan snap to determine for a given system what vulnerabilities have or perhaps haven't been patched. Uh, and there we have both that as it's XML. And so that um, is quite large given all the various vulnerabilities there could be. And so we also compress that as BZIP2. Uh, but the uh, uncompressed form of that, given that it's so large and I guess so hard to work with, will be going away on the 1st of May, and then we will only be supplying the BZIP2 version of that. So if you are using that, I urge you to switch to using the BZIP2 compressed form of that uh, going forward. And that's it for this week's uh, episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, uh, you can reach us about anything security-related at security.com. Or if you want to uh, chat with us, you can find us all hanging out on uh, the Ubuntu Harden channel on irc.freenode.net. Uh, we also, as I said, have our security section on discourse.ubuntu.com. And finally, if Twitter is more your thing, you can find us at Ubuntu underscore sec on Twitter. All right, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. It's been great doing this all again. Uh, if you are celebrating Easter, I wish you a happy Easter break. Uh, if not, I just wish you a safe time anyway and happy times. And uh, yeah, until next week, uh, stay safe and we'll do this all again soon. Uh, until then though, keep calm because we've got you back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.